You are listening to the Smaller Your Hunting podcast, the podcast dedicated to just anything and everything that is the white-tailed deer. You know me, I'm Ty Miller, your host, founder, and the voice of SmallAgreHunting.com. You are the ones that made this turn from a blog to a website to a YouTube channel to everything that it is. So hopefully you find this new venture, this new consistent delivery of information via the podcast useful. But less chatting on the intro, more chatting on the topic. Let's get this episode started. Let's talk whitetails. All right, guys, welcome to this check-in. Honest moment, frustration moment, um, venting session, whatever you want to call it. Um, this episode of the Smaller Hunting Podcast is probably going to have a little bit of it. Uh, but uh, I had a great question um, from somebody. I actually had somebody ask a very similar question in person, a good friend of mine. But then also um, via email, I had somebody ask, you know, just want to check in. It's a gentleman that emails me fairly often. And uh, I always know kind of how he's feeling and what he's thinking going into the season. And he's bounced some ideas off of me. But he, he kind of asked, he was like, you know, hey, you've been kind of quiet, so it's hard to know. But And I have been, and I apologize for that. And if you follow Facebook, you kind of got a little bit of an update. And uh, very briefly about that, you know, my hi- hiatus has been kind of like three different parts. One, life's just been too crazy to put out the content that I used to at, at, on a regular basis. But then also um, the other purpose is it's been kind of intentional. Um, I have not been been uh, not being active. I'm, I'm presently working on the text portion of the attack plan if you didn't watch the video on Facebook. Um, and then what uh, the third reason is what little time I have had, I've devoted to trying to get ready. Instead of working on content and such, I've focused on getting stands prepped, getting those hung, getting food plots planted, things of that nature. And, you know, shooting my bow vastly more at this time of the year than I ever have had to in the past. Um, normally, I'm at a place right now where I'm doing my one shot only practice, which for those of you who don't know uh, me, I'm a real big fan of, you know, once you get to about two to three weeks out from when you're going to be taking, taking up, up a tree or setting the ground blind and you're going to be actually hunting, I, I'm a firm believer in you, your days of shooting numerous arrows downrange need to be done. And uh, sorry, uh, my voice is cracking a lot, so you're probably going to hear me sipping on um, I'm, I'm actually drinking for those of you that, you know, are into like more of a craft beer. There's a local brewery here in uh, Michigan. Uh, I think it's Saugatuck. I think that's Michigan. It might even be Wisconsin now that I say that. And I'm, I'm probably putting my foot in my mouth. But they have like a peanut butter porter, which I swear is just like dessert in a can. So, but uh, that's what I'm sipping on. But anyways, I don't believe in multiple arrow practice right now. Um, you should be at a place if in a normal year I am where I want to shoot one arrow and one arrow only. And then I want to step away five, 10 minutes. I want to go do something else, whether it's uh, Hey, in between shots, I'm going to go, you know, check out my, I'm going to go clean my, I'm going to work on the process of cleaning my truck out for hunting season, maybe running the ozone machine in it. I'm going to work on uh, laundry, whatever it is. I'm going to go do something else for five to 10 minutes. And then I'm going to come back and shoot one arrow and I'm going to pull the arrow out of the target. Every single time. I don't want another reference. I want a clean target. I want a clean, 
clean sight picture of that target every single time because you only get typically one shot when you are in the field. Um, you know, <laughs> you're not going to get to shoot 20 arrows down range and be like, man, I had a really good group, but your first two arrows were your worst shots of the 20. That's not good enough. Um, I'm going to be honest with you guys. It is September 11th. I am literally four days away from when I could legally hit the tree stand in some of the reduction zone properties that I have to hunt. And I don't, I'm not at that point yet. I'm shooting two to three arrows. I'm shooting a separate target every single arrow. I'm not shooting more than two or three shots at a time, but I have not had the time and devotion in order to put into my prep as I normally have. I'm, I'm transforming and transitioning into what I have a feeling is going to be more of my new normal, um, less time, and I'm going to have to become much more efficient user of my time in order to feel prepared. Um, you know, those, those, those 10 minutes after putting Bryson, my, my, my baby boy who just celebrated first year birthday, who I'm actually watching today, it's a uh, September 11th today, and uh, saying that date causes me to reflect a little bit of how thankful I am to just be here and everything, and we should never forget um, what occurred that day. Um, I'm not going to get into politics or anything like that, but you know, I know for a fact there were lives lost that day, and uh, it, it, it brings a little bit of a solemnness to an otherwise uh, not unimportant discussion. But we all needed to, to, to realize the importance of today and reflect on that. But it is Friday, and it is Dudes Day, D-U-D-E-S as I call it, Dudes Day, um, where I am the babysitter. I am the daycare for, for Bryce and our son. And, and I know, yes, it cramps my style in order to get a bunch of work done, and I only have nap time to do things. But I know when I look back on it, and he's 9, 12, 16, and... I don't have the ability or he doesn't have the desire to hang out with his dad. I'm going to look back on these days and I'm going to be so thankful for them. So I can't be too upset, but I think this is my new normal. Um, just not having as much time. So, you know, like I was going into, you know, those 10 minutes after I put him down at night, cause I'm always the one that puts him to sleep if I'm here and then start nightly chores. Okay. I could go out and shoot an arrow and then come back in do those do those nightly chores, whether it be sweeping or cleaning up or doing something like that, and, and then go back out and shoot. Um, light right now, it's very dark at that time, but it is doable. It's dusk, kind of. Um, I do want to try to build a archery range, and I've thought about incorporating some solar-powered lights to where you know I can step out my back, my back porch and shoot 20, 25-yard shots wherever I would put a target and have a solar panel light that, that was on it that would illuminate it a little bit and allow me to practice um, well after sunset. And that's just something that maybe I'll have to do and uh, think about a little bit more. But I am not nearly as prepared as I should be. But a lot of my preparation has been unfolding over the years. Um, you know, every single year is a culmination of more work and more time devoted in the field, whether that be through prep work of habitat, whether that be t- trail camera placements. Um, I'm, 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 I'm anticipating um, doing a camera check here in the next couple weeks um, in a thunderstorm, hopefully. Not a drizzle. I want an actual thunderstorm. Um, go out, check cameras, and uh, allow them to do my surveillance. I, I run an extensive amount of cameras, more than I really need to. 
but my limited amount of time, um, they, they become a pivotal role in being able to locate and ascertain movements. Um, I am a believer that trail cameras do more good and I utilize them in a forecast way into the next year. Um, but I do the September, the late September pool is usually the time frame where I, I will do a pull. And then after that, I will not check cameras unless it is a non-intrusive visit or I'm checking or I'm, I'm, I'm tracking a, a, a deer that's down. Um, and I happen to go buy a camera. I will always have things on me, but I will not check a camera until most likely, um, most cameras will not get checked until after gun season to see what we have going into the late season. And uh, that's all done by design and plan because really uh, I know my property is like the back of my hand. I know their uh, typical tendencies and uh, when typically does come into estrus on various properties and I'm hoping to hone in. The uh, big pivotal uh, piece for me this year is trying to find the time to get an antlerless deer down ASAP. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, the now... Uh, this is the fifth season trying to get Bertier, um, a buck that we used to call Gary back in 2016. Um, he was hit by a car in November of 2016. Over the next uh, 12 to 18 months, he began to lose the ability to even use his one back leg as even a, uh, a peg to kind of balance. Now he can't put any weight on it. He can't support his body. And he somehow keeps surviving. And he has grown into a just crazy, unique antler deer um, buying of himself. And the issue is the reason why I need to get an antlerless deer down ASAP is the quicker I get an antlerless deer down, the likelihood of being able to target and go after Bertier elevates. Um, the issue is, though, it's, it, it, I feel like um, there's a, a uh, what do you call them, a... Uh, hourglass with sand in it and it's slowly running out and he is a buck that once especially if other bucks hone in on his bedding areas which he likes to bed up near facilities and properties and people it, i think it lessens the coyote issue um you know he's not a buck that can outrun a coyote especially a pack if they really want to take him down he's gonna go down and he somehow has eluded them for years and has been through some very bitter winters. And he keeps coming back. The issue is he usually doesn't hang around much past the middle of October when the testosterone really starts to hit these deer. The pre-rut really starts to kick in. He cannot afford to have to fight another buck. Um, and he actually retreats down closer to people, closer to subdivisions. And I know that if I'm going to have a chance at killing Bertier, it's going to be before October 15th, which I normally don't want to hunt uh, the property that he's at or any of my properties. I don't like to target bucks or go in towards bucks aggressively or with high expectations. Um, if I can, I try to stay off my two main properties until about October 20th, October 21st, you know, three weeks into October when the pre-rut is really starting to hammer, 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 hammer down, and even those big bucks begin to, at times, if they feel safe, really start to illustrate mistakes, if you will. But uh, So I actually hung a, a stand this last week. Um, one night after work, I had a few, I had an hour or two. The wife gave me the blessing and went out there and hung a stand in a great location that is 
easy access. It's not down towards the bedding area, um, the main fall time bedding area after the crops come out. But what I have, and I'll kind of lay it out in the podcast, you basically have, so the swamp property, the whole southern edge butts up to a big swamp that you can't hunt, nobody can hunt. Um, I do have a coordinated effort with the DNR to monitor that uh, property with trail cameras in order to try to catch poachers, and we have caught some in the past. But uh, you can't hunt it. Um, I actually shot my 10 coming out of it last year with some does, but uh, the swamp property basically along the whole southern half is that, and there's a large agricultural field which was actually able to be planted this year. Um, Beavers had dammed up a lot of the drainage back there this last year, and it had just caused the entire field to be flooded and not able to be farmed. About roughly 20 acres or so were unable to be farmed and if you know we had some of our best uh deer sightings last year because of the food plots we were able to put in because the high water tables didn't affect us as much into the late summer or fall when we planted our fall food plots and we didn't have the heavy equipment that the farmer did so it was kind of a bummer this year but they do have corn in the entire field there and on to the north is the large chunk of about 25 to 30 acres of uh, timber woods Our food plot is on the southern half of those big woods. But then to the southeast corner of this uh, big chunk of woods, there's like a three to five acre um, predominantly oak uh, woodlot. And that big 20 acre field that was unable to be planted kind of sets to the west and the south of it. To the east side of it is a cornfield and to the north side of it is a cornfield. Just the northwest corner of it kind of touches the other... uh, woods and there's a access road for trucks and 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 ag equipment to get through so it's not really connected but only by a few yards is it not on the northeast corner of that little woods there's a little nook with a small oak tree that kind of is right there and they can't plant up into it so it kind of creates this little bit of a a nook corner that never gets planted Um, we've kind of kept mode for the farmer he he drives his Kubota back there and, and circles around there and it was a great spot for a food plot and I have shot a doe and, and had great success seeing deer use the north side of that, uh, that woodlot, especially when it was an alfalfa field. But now running cameras and going back to the camera conversation where I use those to forecast into the coming years is that corner has illustrated while as long as the corn is there, you know, the deer are bedding in the corn, it is a all-day um, activity hub. Deer seem to come out, scrape underneath that oak tree, visit the acorns in the in the small wood lot, and then go right back to the corn. They're always, you know, a few leaps and bounds away from the corn. So they have the security. They have the ability to move during the day, and it's a very unobtrusive way to get to the property. I can walk the farmer's uh, access trail um, that they drive their Kubota down and everything. Deer are pretty used to humans use, utilizing that trail, and I only have to walk maybe... 80 yards through the north northern edge of this little woodlot, which actually has a quad trail that just doesn't get used as much. I can walk through there. The woodlot is open to the point where I don't expect uh, deer to bed in there. And I should be able to get an early season doe down there or an early season. I, I'm, I'm even willing to shoot a button buck right now because the quicker I can get an antlerless deer down in a reduction zone means I earn a reduction zone buck tag. So if I go up there and, and shoot a buck or uh, shoot an antlerless deer, which in Indiana, 
to qualify as an antlerless deer, you have to have at least less than three inches of antler on either side. To, uh, no antler base or point can exceed three inches. So a button buck does qualify as an antlerless deer, and I will gladly arrow one. So if I shoot one September 15th, that means starting September 16th, I can start hunting for a bertier. So this next week, I'm going to try to slip out there either the 15th, 16th, or the 17th, maybe two of those nights, but I have not prepped any of my equipment. Um, going back to this is a, a very abnormal year, um, unprepared, not ready is the feeling that I get a lot, and I need to spend some evenings really prepping my equipment um, as far as, you know, what's in my travel uh, totes. I, I travel, everything gets traveled in totes, nothing, um, none of my hunting gear or clothing leaves a tote except for the days that I'm going to hunt. So I need to wash those, air them out. I wash in uh, sent away detergent. I, I, I like to use baking soda uh, as my detergent. doesn't have any of that because even the, even the sent away or hunter's detergents, you'll notice you open the cap, you're going to smell some chemicals. You're going to smell something. Um, baking soda is a neutralizer. It neutralizes odors and I use that a lot. And then I usually will pump carbon into my, my, my totes at least once a week or so. Um, I don't like to saturate them too much because carbon can erode, uh, especially rubberized or elastic in, 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 in items. But I do like to pump uh, uh, ozone into those. I have carbon pellets and powder in all of my totes. And I need to do all that prep work to where I can just throw totes in the back of my truck put on my transportation clothes, which is a whole nother story. Many of you guys have heard me talk about my transportation clothes. I have specific clothes and towels that I use during hunting season. When I leave the shower, it is the same clothes consistently. And I try to minimize contact with anything else. And those are also washed with the same manner as my hunting clothes. So I got to do all that in order to feel prepared to hit the stand. I do want to try to film this year from the stand. So I really need to practice maybe on a stand out here at the new house and the new lot is uh, getting comfortable with my camera setups and, and getting that all equipped and getting the backpack uh, spread out and everything. So, but I may actually focus this next, next week or two on trying to get an antlerless deer down. I may just take my second angle camera, my GoPro and uh, focus on just that. You know, if I'm going to film, maybe I'll do it with that. Maybe I'll do it with my phone. Um, but I'm not going to take the main camera along. I don't know. We'll see about that. Um, the nice thing is I like to use the early season times or the first few hunts to really get into the flow of, of, of using a camera and such. But we'll just see how that, that goes. But this is one of those years where I haven't been able to um, scout as much. I haven't been able to prep as much. Um, we did food plots kind of all in the same day. I'll probably go back out to uh, food plots here in the end of September. Um, well, maybe not the end of September, but maybe like here in a week or two, maybe uh, September 21st through the 29th, somewhere in there. I'll hit the properties, check the food plots, and uh, anything that needs it. I've got a bunch. I think I've got 100, 100 to 150 pounds of rye on hand, as well as 50 pounds of oats. So I've got plenty for overseeding. Um, unless I had just numerous food plot failures, I should have tons of seed for overseeding. While I'm on that topic, uh, some of the prop, some of the food plots, uh, I will use that seed no matter what. So I'm a big advocate of overseeding winter rye 
around this time of year into the middle of October in any food plot that you plan on doing a lot of hunting or you want to have food late into the season. Um, you get that most of the Midwest, unless you're in the northern extremes and winter sets in early, your winter rye is going to be able to provide food uh, this fall and into the winter. It was amazing last year to see we had a food plot failure out at the swamp property, actually where I shot that 10-pointer, uh, the November Blessing, if you recall, that was kind of overlooking where uh, a trail leading out, a clover trail leading out of the, the bedding area tied into a food plot that we did that was probably about an acre and a half or so. Brassicas had failed out there, so we went in and I seeded about 150 to 200 pounds of uh, winter rye on top of that food plot. Excessively heavy, but that's what I needed to do because we weren't going to have time to disc it. We weren't going to be able to uh, call the packet in. I basically just threw the seed out and waited for rain to do its part. The deer were hammering that food plot all the way into the winter. Snow was flying. They were still hitting it. And uh, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lifesaver when it comes to food plots. And it is something that, you know, if you have any kind of thin spot, it's going to grow. If you have any kind of other, you know, you can seed it into brassicas. And that understory is the brassicas, as the greens turn on and the deer eat the brassicas, as long as the soil temperature is still in the upper 30s to low 40s, even, you know, obviously higher, it's fine. But winter rye, cereal rye will germinate down into the upper 30s temperatures of the soil. So you're looking at something that may still provide a lot of uh, food on into your hunting season and salvage those bare spots of food plots and things of that nature. Um, I'll probably time my fertilizing run the same time that I plant an overseed. So if you if you had fall food plots and you know things are starting to get to that two to five inch range, it's time to go in and fertilize them. If you got brassicas, maybe hit them with urea and things of that nature. Overseed them with 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 winter rye. Um, of course, if you have a really good brassica plot, you know maybe instead of fifty pounds to hundred pounds, you know some people say as much as one hundred and fifty to two hundred pounds an acre of winter rye. Put a bushel down per acre. Put 50 pounds of winter rye down on your on your brassicas if they're looking really good and you're focusing on trying to produce really big bulbs. Um, while the rye is not going to really be a big competitor, I think you could get away with uh, at least a bushel or two per acre. And I think you will benefit uh, quite quite dramatically from that. But to speak specifically to what my expectations are of this season, I really don't know. <laughs> Um, it's, it, it's a crazy year. Um, it, my, 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 job is, is much more, uh, restrictive to, in a sense. Um, I do plan on taking some vacation days. I do plan on, uh, utilizing my Fridays off and, uh, getting a sitter for, for Bryson. So hopefully I'll be able to get after some deer. Arguably this is as far as trail cameras go. And some of the bucks that I know are the type that not only summer, but stay on the properties that we have, uh, despite the fact that we've lost the home site property or the homestead property with my parents selling, we've, we've lost a portion of the river bottom property. Um, we haven't really planned or expected to hunt the stand that's at the pinch point northeast of the homestead property, which is my favorite stand as far as locationary driving forces. There's no food on my parents' place because they didn't plan it and the new person didn't either. Um, that corridor, I still need to go check that stand, but I don't have high expectations for that. A few of the other spots that we have permission to go, we haven't really checked on. They they, they just have been atrocious the last couple of years, so I really have two properties. But of 
on those two properties, the buck population is doing great. Um, there is a plethora, a ton of uh, four-and-a-half-year-old deer and above that we're going to go after. There's a three-and-a-half-year-old eight-pointer that I passed last year at the Swamp property that was uh, just a dandy, an, an excellent two-and-a-half-year-old, and I probably couldn't pass him this year. I'm going to keep my goals realistic. There's a lot of great bucks that I'm chasing, but I'm also... I understand that it's limited. I'm going to keep my uh, goals realistic on the swamp property. I loosen it a little bit more. Um, three and a half year olds are fair game out there, especially if they're special. But uh, you know, at the new at the 22, I try to keep everything four and a half year old or higher. And uh, there's a, there's a, there's a plethora of bucks out there. I'm blessed to go after. Uh, this is probably one of the best buck crop years that we've had. And I know that might, you know, somebody's like, oh, Ty's on another Booner, um, like the year he shot Cicero. But no, I wouldn't, I, I honestly, we don't have a single deer that would score, <clears throat> at least as of right now, unless one moved in once the velvet dropped. We, we, I, I'm not hunting a Booner. I'm not, I'm not probably hunting anything in the 160 range, but we have a lot of really awesome, uh, just freaking incredible four and a half year old, five and a half year old bucks, and even a few that we know are older than five and a half years old, um, Bertier being one of them. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens, how it plays out. <coughs> um, barring trespassing issues or, or neighboring property issues, uh, I have a really good feeling about this year. Pops can't really hunt until mid to late November. So I, I foresee a lot of late season type hunting. At both both places, both properties. So I'm hoping that the food plot at the Swamp property really takes hold. Checking on it last week, the brassicas are just doing amazing. So at the Swamp property, for those who want to kind of know what we planted, because I know that's one of the questions that we get a lot. There's a main, the main food plot, which is about an acre, acre and a half on the southern middle section of that that big woods, which we have a stand south of it. Um, that kind of sets along the edge of that cornfield. That plot is in primarily brassicas, and the brassicas were doing incredible. That's very dark soil, very wet, holds moisture very well, and uh, I'm looking for that to turn on late season, hopefully. that, That same food plot, that stand to the south of it, which sets along the edge of that tree line, which is a bunch of oaks. So on the northern edge of the cornfield, about 30 yards away from that stand, we tilled up a, a, a disc-wide, so about a six-foot-wide section on the so- on the north side of the corn. We, we dissed it up and planted basically deadly dozen, which is we threw everything we had down basically from real world, which was uh, their, their plot topper, which is a bunch of their brassica blend, and then we threw down a bunch of, of cereal rye and cereal oats that we gotten at the local ag store. So it's just uh, wheat and peas short of being the deadly dozen, but uh, it, it's grown great. So that's kind of that South side. But then on the North side of that food plot, we do have a big Oak flat right there. And we do have a stand that sets inside of that Oak flat. So depending on the wind and late season, there's a chance to set up on a deer on that, that food plot. And uh, we do have a stand to the East of that food plot as well. Um, I've already told you about, the northeast of the Little Woods um, that I'm excited to, to go hunt. As long as the corn is standing, we did throw down winter rye and cereal uh, or cereal rye and forage oats that we had just bought at the local ag store. We threw it down really heavy in that whole area. So 
early season, there's going to be some food there. Late season, yes, the winter rye will be there and be food, but it's not a location that I expect us to hunt much, just given given the nature of the movement of the property and such. Unless the deer tell us otherwise, it's not really a corner of the property that's going to have a lot of activity once the corn comes out and that corner is just fully exposed. Um, the spot that I shot the uh, November Blessing 10-pointer last year, you know, the corn was able to be planted everywhere. However, that stretch that sticks out in between the two cornfields right there, we did plant again. We threw down some plot topper. We threw down a bunch of uh, cereal rye and, 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 and forage oats. So there's going to be food there. There's already clover there. But one of the sections that we're <clears throat> pretty excited about is on the southern edge of this whole property that runs along the swamp bedding area, there's an old ag road. And we're slowly transitioning. We threw down probably about 200 pounds per acre of winter rye. And we did throw some oats, but it's mainly winter rye. We're trying to get stuff growing there. And then this next year, we're going to try to do a spring planting of buckwheat and just continue to get stuff covering that soil to build up the organic matter and to build a base on what is, you know, otherwise a fairly, really compacted um, from, from tractors driving on it over the years and vehicles and such, but it dissed up pretty good. We timed our disking this year the day following a torrential downpour. So it was about as soft as, as it's going to get. So we were able to disc it pretty good. I'm hoping that the winter rye really took there. That's going to be a section that I'm going to have to check and make sure that we were able to, uh, get good germination. If not, I'm going to overseed it again, um, here late September. We do have a stand down that direction, which we're pretty excited about and we have a camera right there that I'm pretty excited about checking and seeing just kind of what's moving over there and uh, hopefully there's uh, a shooter or two that's utilizing that that entry and exit out into the cornfield edge at that property but that's pretty much uh, that property switching scale uh, switching properties over to to my personal one the Radix blind, which you guys saw me hunt out of a few times last year at my place, which is on the southern side of the food, sits over one of the larger sections of, of, of food that I have. And I actually added a another, um, I guess you could call it, a food plot connector trail from one food plot to the other, and it cuts right in front of the Radix blind, the elevated ground blind. It's not going to be much of a bow spot, but come when you can... You can use it, utilize a gun, and especially for pops late season. That should be a brassica heavy plot out in front of you. Um, a lot of cereal grains were put down on the trail that connects the two, and then the 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 stand to the east or the the food plot to the east side has a mixture. Uh, I would say it's about twenty five percent coverage planned of brassicas, with the remaining being a lot of cereal grains. The uh, Harvest Salad Blend by Real World, which is uh, oats, rye, peas, and wheat. So it's pretty heavy. We have a couple stands. I actually hung a new set in a tree that I've been eyeing for about three or four years now, pretty much since I bought the property, about 80 yards up the tree line from the southern stand that Dad shot or that Pop shot Dovahkiin out of. I've always wanted to kind of get up that edge a little bit more. It's a stand that we may only hunt. A handful of times in the year, uh, you're up a finger. A north wind, a strong north wind is really the best wind to hunt with that. Otherwise, you're blowing towards the food, the backside of the food, or the backside of the, of the bedding to your east side. So I really want a northern wind to hunt that. I want it to be at least five miles an hour or, or stronger. 
and very predictable. So it's a it's a spot that I'm I'm, I'm encouraged about and I'm looking forward to hunting, but I don't necessarily know how much we'll hunt it. Where I shot Cicero on the clover plot, we did actually kill and disc up a larger section than normal right there. I threw down a lot of cereal grains, and I actually mixed in brassicas there this year. Um, that's a drier, more sandier uh, soil. Um, it doesn't hold moisture quite as well, so I'm curious to see how things grow and how they progress. And when I go to hit that with fertilizer, walking in from the slipping in from the northwest, I'll be encouraged to check a, a trail camera that we have entering right there, and just kind of see what's going. I think if I have a chance to kill Bertier, that's what the location it's going to happen at. Um, without giving away much else, because I know some people listen that that kind of know where I hunt. However, I've pretty much zoned in and. And I have uh, the only rights to the properties surrounding mine. Um, I do know there's a few area hunters, and I wish them the best of luck. And, uh, yeah, that's all I'll say about that. But it, it's it's I'm encouraged despite the fact that I feel very unprepared um, for it being September 11th, September 11th, and I can hunt in four days. My, my truck still needs cleaned out. I need my totes all to be moved. I need to wash everything. I need to be slipping into the one arrow uh, shot mode right now. I need to be, have a lot more confidence with my bow set up and such. Uh, right now, 25 yards is pretty much my max where I know the arrow is going right where I want it. Um, that is not the case. Usually I'm practicing out to 45, 65, 70 yards, and it just isn't that year for me. So we may have to uh, be thankful that a lot of my, my, my stands are set up for 20-yard shots and in and typically only have one shot that touches 30 at each stand so um we'll see what happens uh, again i have full I, i'm probably a much more pickier person when it comes to shot selection than most and when i say i'm not as confident you know my 35 yard shot right now we're looking at probably about a three inch group um three inches from the point of of where i'm aiming so it, it, is that really terrible no but it's not what I want. I want to be able to be, you know, about the size of a quarter. So uh, call that maybe a little picky, but it just is what it is, and I'm kind of used to that. So, but I, I've, I'm also used to shooting a lot more than what I've been able to do, and hopefully I can change that in the coming days. But I just wanted to uh, check in with you guys. Had a lot of people reaching out, wanting kind of an update of things. If you want to see a hit list, um, I'm probably going to compile. Uh, a few pictures of some bucks from the previous years that uh, I'll probably include some that I know have died, but for the most part, well, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, I'm going to include bucks, uh, pictures from last year, bucks that I'm hoping to chase this year, and the majority of them I do know did survive, and I have confirmation of survival um, into the summer, so we'll see what happens. But uh, keep an eye out for that. I'll probably post that on Facebook. That's kind of the main uh, page anymore that I post to. And, uh, yeah, we'll just go from there. So I think that's all I got for you guys. If, you, if you're like me and, you, and you're, you're narrowing down on your preparation and such, you know, just hone in on each aspect that you need to work on. Work on it as much as you can. Don't feel guilty if family or obligations take you away from it. Um, you know, you just know that you have your priorities straight in that, in that category then. So, um, there are things that are more important than hunting as much as it's hard for us to swallow and admit that sometimes. That's all I got guys. God bless and good luck out there. As I already said before, 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Smaller Hunting Podcast. Hopefully, wherever you find yourself, private, public, big land, small land, new hunter or old hunter, there's something that you've learned. For ultimately, that's all I care about. If you have any topic discussion ideas for the Small Acre Hunting Podcast, be sure to email me at smallacrehunting at gmail.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to all the videos on YouTube. Like and follow the Facebook page. Check out the website from time to time. And as always, stay tuned for the next episode of the Small Acre Hunting Podcast. God bless and good luck out there.